announcements to hit while the kids are making their way out to class. Uh, VBS signups are back there to sign up for your kids. Also, there's a place to sign up if you are interested in helping out. Need lots of help for that. Online signups for Jam Camp are ongoing, and so if uh, you haven't signed up and you want your kid to go, you better get on that because a Mitchell says it will fill up. If you have questions, talk to him. There's two more flower barrels in the back uh, by the shack. And so all of these were filled up. I mean, last, I was blown away. But there are two more back there if you're thinking, oh, I had flowers, I was going to plant them. You've got one more chance. Uh, and then uh, worship team is always recruiting, but we make the announcement every once in a while. If you're a singer, if you are a, an instrumentalist, um, or if you like working with the tech team, you know, flipping slides, you've got to have a certain kind of... Uh, attention span for that, or um, you know, running sound, uh, running the video feed, and kind of doing the switches that need to be done there. If you're interested in any of that, talk to Pastor Jeff. And then the summer guidelines are basically: Hey, go out and enjoy the summer. We will miss you if you're not here on the weekends. We totally understand. We're always happy to see you when you are here, but uh, don't get to May and think I haven't been back to church in three months. I can't go back now. All right, always, always come back. Always come back. So part 40 in this lesson series, looking at the story of the Bible. And today we are to the day of Pentecost, when the church begins. Now I always, I mean, I grew up hearing this word Pentecost over and over and over. I knew it was the birthday of the church, but I never knew what Pentecost meant. Turns out Pentecost literally means, the word means 50th. And it was a celebration. It was one of the festivals that the Jews uh, commemorated every single year. And it was a festival reminding them, celebrating, honoring the day that God gave them the Ten Commandments. Now, the reason it's called Pentecost, or 50th, is because that event occurred 50 days after the Passover. You remember, people of Israel are enslaved. Uh, Moses comes, Pharaoh, let my people go. No, I won't. And the plagues go back and forth. Okay, I'll let them go. No, I won't. And, they, and finally, after the Passover, the people are free. And through a series of hair-raising events that happened during that, all the time after uh, they leave Egypt, including the Red Sea and all these other things, 50 days later, they find themselves encamped around Mount Sinai. And God comes down in the form of fire. He rests his glory on the top of that hill. He speaks to Israel and doesn't just give them the Ten Commandments. That's the day they enter into a brand new covenant with God. Well, it was brand new. It was the only covenant with God at that point. And it was a covenant where God said, if you will follow the stipulations of my covenant, then I will be your God and you will be my people. And... You'll be my holy nation, my kingdom of priests. And they say, yes. And so God then gives them the stipulations of the covenant, the Ten Commandments, we call them now. And that's what people celebrated on the day of Pentecost, the day that God came down to his people, the day that God gave them a new covenant. On Pentecost, in A.D. 33, 50 days after Jesus died on Passover, 47 days after he was resurrected, 
Ten days after he had ascended back to heaven, his people were 120 of them at that point. Okay, just 120 at that day. They were gathered together because Jesus told them to. He said, wait. In Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 5, before he ascends, he says, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And they had no idea what that was going to look like or what that was going to mean, but they were all gathered there, probably in the temple. And they were waiting to see what was going to happen. And on that day, God came down again in the form of fire. And he entered into a brand new covenant with his people that would change everything, not just for the nation of Israel, but for all of mankind. And the way Luke describes it is pretty amazing. He says there was a sound like a tornado, like, like a hurricane. And then fire comes from heaven. And this time, see in the Old Testament, the fire was deadly. The glory of God, people couldn't stand before it. And God warned them, if you get too close, you will die. As a matter of fact, his glory comes down on Sinai in the form of fire. And he says, don't get too close. Don't even touch the base of the mountain because it's, it's fatal for you. But on the day of Pentecost, A.D. 33, the fire comes down. It, it, people, it's not just that they can touch it now. It inhabits them. It indwells them. We sang the song, This Little Light of Mine. That's where this idea comes from. The, Luke says it's this sound like a rushing wind, and then the fire comes, and it inhabits all of them, and it looks like they're like, I mean, the way it sounds like Luke's describing it to me, it looks like they're a candle. Right? That there's a little flame going on up there. And, and nobody knows what to make of it. And people that are in the temple, they see what's happening. There are tens of thousands of people there in Jerusalem that day to celebrate the day of Pentecost. One of the most important holidays in the Jewish calendar. And there were a lot of them that were there that day that would have been there 50 days ago on Passover. Because a lot of times what Jews would do is, they're, for, they're scattered all over the, the empire. They would, this was some once-in-a-lifetime event for some of them. And so they would plan it to be several months long so that they would be in Jerusalem for Passover, for the Feast of First Fruits, and eventually for the Feast of Pentecost. And so there were people there, uh, scholars say, all, assuredly, who had been there also on Passover. And everybody knew what had happened on Passover, right? That's just 50 days ago. That's like, look back to Easter. How long ago was that for you? These people, they knew what happened on, on Passover. They knew that Jesus died that day. They also knew that there were rumors everywhere in Israel that that tomb, well, it wasn't even a rumor that the tomb was empty, right? That was a fact. But the rumors were what happened to the body. Is the body still dead? His followers say, no, he's alive. There's, there's rumors popping up everywhere in Israel that he's alive. And now they're all gathered back in, in Jerusalem for Pentecost. And there's this sound and there's this fire. And those people that follow Jesus, the ones that were saying that he's actually alive, they got fire coming out of their heads. What is going on? They all gather around. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? And what they are told turns their lives upside down. Watch this. 
upside down exactly like that, but you get the picture. They, they come up, they've seen, they know what's going on, right? And suddenly something that they can't explain is happening before their very eyes. And they ask this question, what is going on here? What does all of this mean? And Luke says that they're all speaking in these different languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. And Peter stands up and he, st he, he answers this question. And his answer is the very first sermon that is ever preached in the history of the church. And what he tells these people, these people, many of whom had been there 50 days ago when Jesus was killed, probably many of whom had been in the crowd when Pilate stood up and said, I want to release one of these two prisoners to you. Which one? And they said, Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. And he said, well, what do I do with Jesus then? He's innocent. What do I do with him? And they, the crowd chanted, crucify him. Crucify him. A lot of the people that are in the crowd that day, on the day of Pentecost, in the temple, saying, what does this mean? We're in that crowd. And Peter gets up and says, that, that guy, Jesus, who you killed, who you killed. I used to think that when Peter said, this Jesus whom you killed, God has now made both Lord and Savior, that he was just being generic. You know, yeah, you guys, you know, all of mankind really killed Jesus, right? We're all responsible. We all sinned. He had to come and die for all of us. We all killed him, right? It's like, okay. No, Peter is pointing at people who were in that crowd. This Jesus whom you crucified. God has resurrected. Death could not hold him. And now he has ascended to his throne. He has made him both Lord and God and Savior. And the people, they look at Peter and they say, what can we do? We're sorry. What can we do? Now, I don't know about you. I would imagine that God's response to that question would be, those of you that were in the crowd on Passover, those of you that were responsible for my son's death, nothing you can do. That's it. You're done. Right? You, you get out of here. Now, the rest of you, let me tell you what you can do. No. These people say, what can we do? And this is what Peter says. Acts 2, verse 38. Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely remarkable. Absolutely amazing. Blows me away every time I think about it. And we will spend the next three months going through the book of Acts, the, 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 the main storyline of the book of Acts, and we will see what a church is supposed to look like and what our responsibility as members of that church is. What should, what should I look like? What should I be doing? We will spend three months talking about that. But for today, what I want to focus in on is this concept of Pentecost. Why did it happen on the day that it happened? Why did the church begin on the day that the church began? Did God do that on purpose? And what does it mean? What does it mean for me? What does it mean for you? What does it mean for the church? What does it mean for the world? We're going to ask the same question that the people that were there that day asked. What does this mean? What does Pentecost mean? Number one, it means absolute equality. Right? Absolute equality. Not outside the church. Outside the church, there is still, even in the first century, there's still slavery. There's still all kinds of injustice. There's still all kinds of problems. But within the family, within the church, 
I think Pentecost is saying this means absolute equality for all of us. Acts chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? And the way that this can be is because of Jesus. Now, what's fascinating to me is the first sermon ever preached wasn't preached in a specific language. Right? I mean, maybe it was, but we're not told if it is. We're not told what it is, if it was preached in a specific language. Peter probably spoke Aramaic. In his, you know, it was probably the, his natural tongue, the, the language that he just thought in. So maybe he preached in Aramaic and there was a whole United Nations thing going on that God was creating this miracle. Have you ever seen, you know, somebody will be in the United Nations giving a speech in English or Russian or German or French, and then all the people that can't speak that language are listening to headphones, right? And they're having it translated on the fly. Maybe it was sort of like that, right? This miraculous thing that God does where almost like from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy with the babblefish, right? It's like, oh, now I understand what's going on. But we don't know if Peter spoke Aramaic or if he spoke it in Hebrew or if he spoke it in Greek, which was sort of the language of the empire which is kind of fascinating that God decides to have his New Testament, the, the story of, of him invading this world, the great rescue, the story of his son's life and the beginning of the, of the church, that God said, I want this book, the Old Testament's written in Hebrew, right, which was the common language of the Jews. But the New Testament is written in what's called Koine Greek, which means common Greek wasn't even highfalutin Greek, right? Because the Greek of Homer and uh, Aristotle and Plato and Socrates, that Greek was like you had to be really, you had to have an extremely high education level to read it. And God's like, no, 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 no. We're going to write this in the most common basic Greek language that there is. People in high-class society would have been shocked and appalled. They would never be caught dead speaking or reading common Greek. And God's like, that's how I want this story told to the world. It's, it's remarkable. And, and we don't know for sure what language Peter uses, but we know this. Whatever language he uses, and I kind of think that probably what's going on is Peter is speaking God's language, a language that everybody can understand. He, he doesn't even know that, that he knows this language. God's doing this sort of miracle. He can understand what he's saying, but he doesn't know what he's saying. And the people that are out there, no matter, Luke lists 16 different language groups that are there that day. All of them understand it in their own language. Why does God do that, do you think? Why, why doesn't he have it spoken in a, why, tell us, it, the first sermon was given in this language. I think the reason is because there, for God, there's no one language that's more important than any other. There's not a language of God. There's not one culture that's more important than another. And this was really hard for the Jewish people to understand and to let go of. The rest of the book of Acts we're going to look at over the next three months, one of the main themes running through the entire thing is how the Jews, who all the Christians at this point were Jews, right? 
And it won't be until later that they start taking the gospel into the Roman world, into the Gentile world. And once they do, it's like they, they don't know, do we make the Gentiles become Jewish? Because right now, all the Christians are Jews. This is what it means to be a Christian. Well, those people aren't Jewish. What is it? And there is going to be this, this, this struggle. And the Apostle Paul is going to head it up saying, no, the, the Jewish culture is not any more important than the Roman culture or the Greek culture or the Turkish culture or wherever we take it. The, and that's one thing about Christianity. Everywhere you go, it just, it's different. It's different in Mexican churches than it is here. It's different in, in Korean churches than it is here. Russian churches. There's this different culture amongst those churches. But they, they all have this, this one thing in common. It's this guy named Jesus. And how they're, when they, when they live their lives, being who God called them to be, and, and, and the church is what the church is supposed to be, their light shines brightly even 2,000 years later, which is absolutely remarkable. But even beyond just all of the different, you know, cultures that we kind of look at now, even just amongst American Christianity, there are so many different church cultures. Have you ever noticed? Have you ever gone to any of the other churches on this, just even on this one loop road? And there, are, there are like a dozen churches just within, I mean, you could walk to probably a dozen churches within a half an hour from here. And driving, man, forget about it. There's hundreds. It's like you go, there, no one is the same. You can go to one church on this road and everybody will be dressed up. Suits and ties or dresses. And they'll be sitting in pews and they will be singing out of hymnals. Songs that were written in the 1700s, 1800s, 1900s. Don't be bringing in any of that stuff that was written in the 2000s, man, because that's, a, you know, and, they, and that's how they're singing, right? Then you've got, well, like us, right? Pastor Jeff's got a guitar. He's got a little drum thing here that when it's actually working, he's, he's beating on that thing. If there's not a drummer up there, and sometimes we'll have a couple other guitarists, we'll have some other singers there. There's other churches on this road that you go, and it is like every service is like a full-blown concert. There's fog machines, and there's <laughs> lights flashing everywhere. And I mean, it's like this whole production, right? Which one's the right way? Which one's better, right? Now, we all have our preferences, right? But I think that Pentecost says, no, 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 no. One culture is not better than another. Let's watch this. What does that have to do with Pentecost or culture or anything else that you've been talking about? Just this. There are churches on this, on this road that when the preacher gives the sermon, he stands behind a podium. He never moves from behind the podium. He, he's very quiet. He's very composed, right? Other preachers, that they are storming back and forth on the, on the stage, right? They'll even storm down the middle of the thing, and they'll be yelling, and they'll be screaming, and, and then they'll cry a little bit. And then, and then I've heard that there are preachers on this road who will show these ridiculous video clips in the middle of his lessons and, and that have nothing to do with really the point that he's trying to make. And you might think, why would anybody do that? There is a point. There is a a point to it, right? There's, there's a reason. And sometimes it's to make a point. Other times it's because there are people that are out there that would never even con 
consider walking into any one of the churches anywhere around here because they think, oh, there, there's nothing. There's, I, I know exactly what's going on there, and I don't need any part of it. And then somebody will go home and say, the preacher at my church showed a clip from old school today. As a matter of fact, some of you may have just tweeted it out. I'm in church, and you won't believe what I just watched. Hashtag old school, hashtag took one in the jugular, right? And people will be like, no way, right? I... One time I was, uh, I showed a clip from South Park. I know, I know, I'm almost embarrassed to say it. But it was like the man bear pig, right? Half man, half bear, half pig. I think that's hysterical. I think that's funny. I showed it at church. About, I don't know, three or four months later, I went up to have dinner at the Arch House, the group home that, up here on Highland Road that we, that we uh, support. And I was sitting down to eat, and one of the kids was like, you know, I mean, that as far as I could remember, had been coming to our church for, you know, forever, right? Now they only stayed there for eight months, but it's like, you know, I, anyway, he says to me, I never, when I first came, I, I, I wouldn't go near your church. And I was like, oh, really? And I said, what changed that? He said, one of the kids came back and said, you showed a clip from South Park. And I thought, I got to go see what's going on at that place. <laughs> and he said, so I came that next week. He goes, I've, I've been, I haven't missed a Sunday since. And I thought, wow, with some ridiculous little clip from South Park. Now, that, none of the clips I show are my endorsement saying, you should go watch this, right? It's like, no, you know, you should, probably shouldn't watch old school until you're like 50, right? I mean, it's like, uh, but, but that one clip is hysterical, you know? But that one clip will draw people to Jesus. Now, is that the best way to do church? It's the way I like to do church, right? But it's not the best way to do church. And the other preachers doing church a different way, it's like no one, absolute equality, right, in God's eyes. For us, the individuals in the church, the Apostle Paul would eventually write this in Galatians 3, verse 28. He'd say, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What does he mean? That means that, yeah, outside of the church, there's still racial divisions, there's still socioeconomic, financial divisions. There's still gender divisions. But within the church, all of us are equal. And when the church does that, the church shines brightly. And people look at it and they're like, well, that shouldn't work. That should never work. Here we are 2,000 years later. It's a miracle. It is. And we'll talk more about what the church is supposed to be uh, as we go along. But the second thing that I want to hit very quickly, and we're going to have to hit it very quickly, is that Pentecost teaches us is that Pentecost means a perfect covenant, right? It's not just a new covenant. It's a perfect covenant. The original Pentecost and what they celebrated every year after that was to celebrate what at this point now, when Jesus has come and gone and is getting ready to return, sort of, is the old covenant, right? And that covenant, I don't think that it was meant to have an intermediary between God and the people, but that's exactly what ended up happening because the people couldn't stand it. They, they found themselves gathered around Sinai. God descended in the form of fire. He started speaking to them, saying, if you will 
follow the terms of my covenant, then I will be your God and you will be my people. And so let me tell you what the terms of the covenant are. No other God before me. Do not create an isle. Do not bow down or worship one. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Don't lie. Don't chew. Don't go with girls that do. Those last two weren't really, but, but you know what I mean? God's giving them these, these, these stipulations. And while they're, he's in the middle of speaking to them, they stop him at one point. They're like, okay, time out, please. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. Moses continued, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. For this is what you yourselves requested of the Lord your God when we were assembled at Mount Sinai. You said, don't let us hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore or see this blazing fire for we will die. Then the Lord said to me, what they have said is right. I will raise up a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell the people everything I command him. And that's Jesus. Jesus comes Moses was a great intermediary. Moses was a good go-between. Jesus was the perfect intermediary. Jesus was the perfect go-between. And you see that in the differences between Sinai and Jerusalem, Pentecost. Sinai, the fire descends. You know, God comes down. He does that in, in Jerusalem, too. He descends in Sinai in the form of fire. He does that in Jerusalem, too. But at Sinai... The fire, the glory was fatal if you touched it. In Jerusalem, it inhabits God's people. In Sinai, the people saw it and were terrified. They were like, please, no more. In Jerusalem, the people see what's going on and they're filled with wonder. They are drawn to the glory of God. What's the difference? Jesus. Finally, we have this God that we can understand, this God that we can approach this God that we, that we know loves us, right? That, that's, the, that's what happens that day. But beyond that, really to understand, to understand uh, Pentecost, you got to go back even further than the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. We're going to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 11. Very strange story that we didn't even talk about as we went through our, our story of the Bible series last fall. But it we need to talk about it in order to understand Pentecost. Tower of Babel. Very strange story. A story where people all spoke one language. And they gathered together and they said, we're going to build a tower and we are going to ascend to God. And God comes along and says, no, you're not. And so he confuses them. Gives, splits them up into different Languages. They can no longer understand one another. So conflict arises. The project is abandoned. And I always thought, that's weird. Is God afraid that we're gonna actually, they were actually going to ascend to him? No, he's not scared. Here's what I think is going on. He wants to make absolutely sure that we are under no illusions that we can never ascend to God. You can build a, a tower as tall as you want. That's the whole point of even the Old Testament. God saying to Adam and Eve and to Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and the nation of Israel saying, you can't ascend to heaven, so heaven's going to come down to you. It's the whole point of the entire Old Testament. And, and when, we get, when we get to Pentecost, you see these differences between Babel 
and Pentecost. At Babel, there was one language, and because of human arrogance and sin and pride, all of that has changed, and they are split into so many different language groups. In Pentecost, you have all of these language groups, and suddenly Jesus comes along, and they are all united, and they can all understand one language again. At Pentecost, Jesus and God is starting to reverse the very effects, the impacts of sin itself. And it is supposed to be continuing to this very day within the family that is the church. And so I guess the question for us to consider this week is, how are we doing? How are we doing at that? At looking at each other as though there's just absolute equality. No one culture, no one person, any better than another. No, that, that, that there's no racial divisions, there's no financial divisions, there's no gender divisions, but we are all one in Christ. Yeah, it may be different out there, but in here, this is how it is. How are we doing at continuing the process of Pentecost and reversing the effects of sin on this world, starting in our own lives and then radiating out from there? Because the more we do that, the brighter our light shines. And the more people of like mind gather together, the brighter that place becomes. We'll continue to talk about what that is supposed to look like as we go forward from here. But I think this is enough for this week. I have a feeling your head's spinning. You got all kinds of questions to go along with some of the answers that maybe you've gotten today. Spend this week just contemplating. Because I, one thing I notice as I go through the Bible is God, God loves it when we are confused and have to sit and think about what does that exactly mean for me in my life and ask him to give us some wisdom. But here's what happens when people do that, when the church does that. Acts chapter 2, verse 47 says, And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And we will continue to see what that looks like as we move forward in the next few months looking at the book of Acts. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that, uh, that it's you that adds people to your church and that it's not us. And so, Lord, teach us what that means. Teach us what church is supposed to look like. Teach us what our part in that is supposed to look like. Teach us what equality means and what it doesn't mean. Teach us, teach us what it means to let Jesus shine brightly from within us and what it means for us to band together and to make that light shine even brighter to a very, very dark world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.